Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. We're going to jump into part two of the, of the little mini-series, so to speak, that we started last week of building on the right foundation. Last week, we talked about building on the foundation of Jesus and that as a church here at Grace Hill, we already have the right foundation laid for us. Pastor Michael and Tamara did an incredible job for 10 years laying the right foundation so that this church could be built the way God intended it to be built. So we talked about how Jesus is the right foundation. We talked about the importance of, of spending time laying the foundation, making sure that what we're putting into the foundation are the right things. And so this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to build the walls correctly, what it talks, we talk about building things in the right way. Now, I know this, that, 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 that I'm a guy that, that from time to time I do guy things, right? Like I do, I do man things, right? So, so I, I have found that, that I like to work out and lift weights and be like, ugh, I'm not huge. So it's, it's, it's hard for people to believe sometimes. Just maybe one day I'll post a picture or something. Be like, it's really happening. And then I'll go inside. Uh, you know, just act like. No, but from time to time I like to do things like that, you know, or, or I like to um, fix things. I, I've learned how to do a lot of car maintenance because I'm cheap. And so I, I look up ways to do it myself. So YouTube, how many of you know that YouTube is the most incredible resource for any man out there who's like, I'm going to do it myself with the help of Jimmy on this YouTube channel that's going to walk me through it, right? So, so I, I pull it up and I'm like, okay, here's how I'm going to do this. So I've changed our, I've changed our brakes, you know, things of that nature. You know, I'm like, I'm not paying somebody $800 to change brakes because that is a ripoff. And so I don't do it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go do it myself. I've even learned how to, I made our own coffee table. I was like, we need a new coffee table? Guess what? I'm building that bad boy. So I did. Now, it's not the greatest coffee table on the planet, uh, but nonetheless, it, you know, my wife likes it, so I'm a happy man. I've even learned how to do some simple plumbing, right? Some little things like, hey, this isn't working. I'm figure this out. And I do it. So, I, I, you know, I try to be manly, and I follow these steps and these directions, and I feel like I'm pretty handy for the most part, yet when it comes to building IKEA furniture... I am ready to throw things across the room and give up quickly. Because I found that in, in Sweden, they, they like adding extra steps for no necessary reason whatsoever. And I don't think that I was putting together like this cheap little dresser thing because it was just going in the closet of our boys. So it wasn't even seen. We just, I thought, you know what? This won't be too hard. It's a little three drawer dresser set from Ikea. It's cheap. It's going in the closet. The other side is going to be opposite. It's going to be a mirror image. I can do this. Does that make you have to add 27 more steps for the other side to make it look exactly the same? I don't get it. I build Ikea furniture. We take the scenic route. We come up with new variations to open uh, or, or whatever because you go, this doesn't make any sense. And I found that when you follow the directions and you follow it step by step, it's a lot easier to build and construct what you're trying to accomplish, right? And as a guy, I, I typically do pretty well following those steps and directions until I start thinking logically, unlike people from Sweden, and, and then things go awry. Let me ask you this question now. If you were to have somebody build you a house, and you walk through, and you have this building plan and this meeting, and you say, okay, we know that, that, that there is this, this is what we want the house to be in the end. Here are the blueprints. Here are the plans, and you have your, you have your plumbing meeting. You have all of this laid out in this plan in place, and you say, okay, this is what it is, and you give it to the con. They decide to do it their own way. And they go, you know what? Not going to like the house this way. 
So they start moving walls and changing things. The next thing you know, you come back and made some changes. How many of you are going to be happy with that? Nobody. Nobody's going to go, oh, and right. See, in the same way, God tells us that there is a way in which we're to build our lives, and there's a way in which we're to build our church, that if we begin to get off of the blueprint in the written plan, we're going to find that what we're building is not built to last. So we have to be aware of the plan. We have to be aware of, of, of what we're trying to build and what it is that God is longing for us to build. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 18 through 23. And we're going to read through this real fast as this, this helps us to set up what it is that, that we are building towards and what we're talking through today. So in verse 18, it says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that is Paul or Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. There's a couple of things that I want to pull from this text today uh, as, it's, as we talk about building our lives and as we talk about building this church. Kind of the big idea for today is this. If we try to build with the wisdom of this, the wisdom of this world, we try to build on our own thoughts and ideas, our own wisdom and the things that we've seen work in other built to last. What we're building is not built for eternity. So it's crucial to make sure that we days you have to build according to the right plan. Over the years, there have been several books written, several books written, written on, on Christian development, Christian leadership, and, and personal growth, and these ideas of this is how you become the, the man or woman of God that God is calling you to be, and there are these strategic plans and purposes, you know, and things that you have to walk through on a daily basis, and this and that. And some of those books, I will not discredit, some of those books are absolutely incredible. Some of those are valuable, and some of them have great insight that have, that have been pulled from scriptures, but I have found that there are several books when it comes to building the church, and it talks about all these different ideas. Essentially, what they have done is taken books on, on how to build a strong and healthy business and tried to simply adapt those things directly to the church and bypass the idea and the blueprint that God has laid out for us in his word. And we find that those things, that those churches may blow up, they may have incredible growth quickly, they may have these awesome moments and big times, but, but we will find that over time, they're not, build, they're not built to sustain they're not built for eternity. They're not built for the long haul, but they're built for a quick moment that, that looks good, that people are drawn to and attracted to. But at the core of it, they miss out on the understanding of what it is that's truly needing to be built into the lives and the hearts of people through that church. Paul writes in this text the importance of understanding that, that we do not need to deceive ourselves we don't need to deceive ourselves by thinking that we are wise, right? There's a lot of us that we have the ability in a moment to go, well, I'm very wise. I know how to do these things. I know what to do. And Paul's saying, don't deceive yourselves. Don't, don't be so quick to jump to the conclusion that you know the right thing. See, all throughout Scripture, and we can find Jesus talks a lot about it, that, that conventional wisdom, earthly wisdom, is usually opposite of heavenly wisdom. 
is laid out and that's, you know, and you go, well, conventional wisdom says that, yes, those things are correct. And Jesus goes, but I tell you wisdom that, that I thought was good. You know, Jesus says, you know, you hear, you've heard it said that, uh, you know, love your, and Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you're like, well, that does, scripture is constantly full of, 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 of a challenge to our thinking and understanding and our wisdom. And Paul's saying, don't deceive yourselves by thinking that you are wise because the reality is earthly wisdom amounts to nothing when it comes to building our lives in the way that God has intended us to build our lives. And it amounts to nothing when it comes to building our church the way that God has intended us to build our church. If we build with the wisdom of the world, we won't be building for eternity. We have to set our eyes on things that are eternal, not things that are temporary. We have to set our eyes on things that, that are going to go beyond, okay, how does this affect eternity how is what we do going to have eternal in the kingdom of heaven and not just a temporary moment here on earth so there's a few things that i said that roadmap and how we're supposed to build if we're supposed to push beyond the idea of conventional earthly wisdom in our in this church on the first thing is this our lives need to be built on prayer Jesus says in Matthew 18, he says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. One of the ideas that we're going to find ourselves talking through today is this, this idea in the sense of, of having the presence of God with us. And that, that is a crucial part to building our lives and a crucial part to building this church is, is making sure that we are where God wants us to be, right? So the first thing is this. We have to understand that prayer is vital in the closeness in our relationship with God. That prayer is the key to unlocking the hard things in our world. Jesus said to the disciples, and they said, well, how are you able to cast those demons out? And Jesus said some things come by prayer and fasting see prayer is an essential part to the the power and, and the need uh, in this world uh, the world needs a praying church uh there's there's a, a an author who is a, what we would call an odg he's an old dead guy his name is ian e. bounds i love odgs they write some of the greatest stuff so ian e. bounds who is a prolific author on the topic of prayer in fact i have a book by ian e. bounds called the best of ian e. bounds on prayer and it's just ec excerpts from several books that he wrote on prayer but in his book power through prayer he, he wrote what church needs today is not more machinery or better not new organizations or more in novel methods but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, mighty men in prayer. Men mighty in prayer. You see, we can come up with, with, with plans and ideas, and there are some good things from the business world that are applicable to church. I'm not downplaying the idea of process and being organized and working through good business tactics and plans in the church. That is vital and necessary, and it has its place. But we can never allow those things to replace prayer. We can never allow those things to replace our need for the work of the Holy Spirit. See, prayer is so vital and so necessary that, that, that I, would, I would venture to say that, that we don't have enough praying people in church today, that if we had more praying people in church today, that we would see a greater move of the Holy Spirit and a greater move of the church in our nation. Warren Wiersbe, another theologian and an author that, I, that I, I read often, talked about how it's funny to me in churches, he says that, that the one occupation where it would not be deemed as weird, if you work as a pastor at a church, that you can walk into your office, shut the door and begin to pray, and people are going to go and say, enough, you know, and you go, man, that's just, it makes so much sense. 
That we have the opportunity in the church, and as people within the church, we have the opportunity to say, hey, our doors are open. Come, if you have a time in your lunch hour, you have to pray. And the second thing is a byproduct of prayer. We have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We learn in the book of Acts that the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit came so that we can be empowered, so that we can be bold witnesses. In, in fact, when, when in Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and that word power is, is the Greek word dunamis, which we've probably all have heard, which is where we get the, the English word for dynamite, right? So it's this explosive power. And what it means essentially is that, that you will receive power to be my witnesses. He says that, that what happens is you become emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we walk out in the Spirit, when we live by the Spirit, we then have the boldness to be able to proclaim and to share the Word of God and be able to share the gospel with those around us. See, the Holy Spirit often people view it as weird or that the gifts of the Spirit are a weird thing. Here's what I've learned. There to be an operation, and he tells us this, that the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit, is a sin and say, whoa, this is weird. Well, it's not right. But if they walk in and the Holy Spirit is moving correctly and, and in the right fashion, he says that the unbeliever will say, well, God is in the house. Here's what I've learned. People are weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird, Right? When people begin to apply and add in their own ideas and their own emotional experience and things that they are tied to in the past, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets weird to people. They go, this is a weird church. And I go, no, the people are weird. Yeah, we'll give you that. But the Holy Spirit himself is going, I, that's not me. That's, that, that, nope, that's See, the Bible tells us all about the gifts of the Spirit and that we are to operate in those, but it is with God is a God. Things work and flow in an order. God is a God of order. And whenever people begin to, the Spirit gets weird. And then people go, I'm never going there again. I grew up seeing some weird stuff. If you grew up any kind of Spirit-filled, it's the truth. Lauren and I have shared stories, and we go, wow, it's amazing that we're still Spirit-filled today. It's by the grace of God, right? You know, so I won't get into stories. We can tell those later. If you want to ask stories, I can share some good ones with you, but not now. So we have to build with the power of the Holy Spirit because when the Spirit is used correctly, it is a sign to the unbelievers of, of the work of God, that God is in this place, that God is moving, God is, God is working. I've seen some incredible things when it was right. And those are the stories that you go, this is far more incredible than the people that used it incorrectly that this is happening in your life. And the person just goes, how in the world did you know? And it's just the work of the Holy Spirit giving to lives radically transformed in the moment. That's the kind of spirit we need to walk in. Humility is, is not always in style. Uh, we find that it's very easy for people to realize as they have a, a, a talent or a gifting. They go, man, I am so awesome. I am great, right? Not ever done on purpose. It's never a thing that somebody goes, man, I'm going to walk in arrogance today. I want the world to know how great I am. And if you wake up with that kind of thought process and mindset, I'm going to pray for you. Because uh, we need to get that off of you. Because you become so arrogant and so prideful, you're, you're good for nothing. That's good English, by the way. You're not good for anything. If, if all of a sudden you're just so arrogant and so prideful and you don't walk in humility and walk in the understanding that all of us are sinners saved by grace, that not one of us has the ability to redeem ourselves or save ourselves from, from eternal torment because we need Jesus. Every single one of us needs the grace of God. So if we can begin to walk under that and under the blood, understanding the need for humility, 
all of a sudden our, our world will begin to look at the church. They can't make it on their own, that they're not capable apart from the grace that they say that they have. I'm in pick on them for a moment. I love hearing athletes talk a lot of times because you get a, a clear angle about me and I had the ability to save it and win the game for my team because I'm better than everybody else around me, right? Maybe they don't say it quite like that, but you get the attitude behind it. And then you have another one that comes along and they're just like, man, listen, uh, we couldn't have done it today without each other. We really needed each other. We had to lean on one another. Uh, I know that if it was just me out there, we would have lost today because, man, my team really helped pick me up. And you're like, man, you just scored 48 points in the NBA finals and you're saying your team just helped. Like totally different. You know, you go, wow, this is because humility stands out. Like you're drawn to that. You go, whoa, I like that guy. You know, that guy's awesome. And I think that's why my, anyways, and NFL fans, we just love sports, but the NBA Finals takes on a whole other thing in our world and everything. You know, we, we want people to recognize when we do something right, right? I know for me personally that, or, or I vacuum without her asking me to do anything, I want her to realize it. You know, be like, I try not to say anything, and then she'll check the dishwasher, like, oh, you did the dishes. And I'm like, no, the reality is, I wanted her to recognize it. I wanted her to see, look, I love you. So I did the dishes so that you would see me and recognize that I did something for you. <laughs> Completely backwards, right? It's not done in humility. It's, not, you know, it's done so like, oh, you vacuum. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Just trying to be a blessing and be noticed. Like, hey, look what I did for you, Right? See, we do that in our world, and so learning to shift our mindset and our understanding and say, okay, I'm not going to walk in this desire for, to be seen and to be noticed. We want to be humble in the way I live, and as a church, we need to walk in humility. James 4, 6, he says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God, he opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James four ten says, one of the things you'll learn about me is, is James may be my favorite book in the Bible, so... James is hardcore. He doesn't, he's, he's just goes straight for the jugular. He's like, I'm going right for it. But he says, but he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I think that right there is enough for us to look at our lives and examine and say, okay, God, am, am I walking in humility? Think about that. We, we already referenced the fact that all of us need grace, right? It's that act of humility, that act of bowing our hearts before the Lord and saying, God, I need your grace. That is an act of humility. Recognizing our need for a Savior in the first place is a moment of humility. Because if we walk in with arrogance, God is going to oppose us, right? He's going to say, you're, you're not coming with humility. You're not coming recognizing your need for a Savior. You're simply walking in and saying, God, give me grace. Yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Man, that's the greatest way of being lifted, is not by our own merits and our own doing and letting others see us, but, but allowing God then in turn to lift us up. That is, that is the greatest lifting that we can ever have, to be placed on a, on, a, on a high place because of the work of the Lord, because of our humility. That's the kind of place where you want to sit up high. The fourth, excuse me, the fourth is we need to build our lives and our church on serving others on serving others. This, again, is that continuation of humility. Removing ourselves from, from the equation and saying, how can I serve those around us? Now, I'll, I'll say this. It's easy for all of us to get caught up in the busyness of life. I, I recognize and I understand that life is busy. And traffic in Dallas is horrendous. I made the mistake last week of leaving here at 515. 
And I was pleased because I'm like, at least I'm going south. It's not as bad going south. Like, hey, are you close? And I was like, I just made it to 35. Uh, She was like, well, we'll see you when we see you. It was awesome. We get busy, right? It's some of our busyness we feel like is completely unproductive. And I'm going, I'm just sitting in a car for hours. So we get caught up in the busyness, right? And so it's easy to overlook the needs of others around us. It's easy for us to go past them, not not intentionally, not to to the fact of being like, go fend for yourself, man. You know, it's not like that. It's this idea that we're just so busy that sometimes those things go by in a blur that we we get tunnel vision. We get focused on the direction we're going and the things we're trying to do and and things that need to get done that are valid and good things, right? From the things that we go, oh, I could have met that need. I could have served and helped that person. I could have done that. And learning to, and to be willing to stop for a moment, willing to sit, it'll take me three more minutes, unless you're doing it at like 5.30, and then it's going to take you 45. But being willing to humble ourselves to the point of saying, there are others around me that have needs that I am capable of meeting. You may say, I don't have the greatest of means. I don't have the, the ability to give and give. No, but you know what? A lot of us, we have time, we have talents, we have giftings, and we can be aware of things that are around us and say, you know what? I can take responsibility for somebody's need. I can take responsibility for a need near me and a need around me. As a church, we can become aware of needs around us. We become aware of, of those that are needing something that, that we can provide, that we can help. Because as a church, we should be humble enough to say, you know what, I can serve somebody else. We can serve in ways and help in ways greater than we can do individually. And that's why missions is such a big thought and an idea. Church collectively, we can do more. We can support missionaries that are all over the nation and all over the world. Because, but then what are the things that we can do collectively locally in Dallas, in Lake Highlands, in East Out. We need to build our lives and our church on serving. Uh, I started writing the sermon and realized, wow, we're like 10 pages deep. Um, Maybe we should tone it down a bit. Second thing is, is we must build with the right motive. We must build with the right motive. Now, Paul addresses at the end of this little passage the idea of, of uh, you know, those that are going, well, I, I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like Cephas, which is Peter, you know, and all this stuff. And he's saying, listen, uh, change your motive, change your mindset. This is not about one person and what they're accomplishing. This is about the bigger picture of the church. Later on in Corinthians, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, in, in chapter 10, he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. See, Paul is building to kind of this moment and this understanding as a church and as individuals, our lives are about the glory of God. They're not about the glory of others. They're not about the glory of self. And if we misunderstand that or misinterpret that or take that and apply it in another way, we've missed it. But our lives are strictly and purely about the glory of God. That is why we were created. We are created to glorify the Lord, created to worship, to exalt him, to magnify him. And so our life is about Living for the glory of God. If our motivation is approval of people or money or power or fame, then we missed it. Plain and simple. If our motivation as a church is so that we can grow in numbers and look good for others to see us and to be the talk of the town, then we missed it. We missed it. Our existence and our purpose is purely to bring glory to the name of Jesus to magnify Jesus, to lift up Jesus. And if we missed it, then our church and and, and our lives are are in existence in vain. We exist in vain. 
Because if we build with the wisdom of this world, we won't be building for eternity. And I want what I do to last eternally. I want my life to last for eternity. I want my, my, the, the, the repercussions of my actions to be felt through eternity for the kingdom of heaven. I, I think that's the very definition of vain, somebody who's, who's living for themselves, right? And, and, if, and if we're doing things in vain, then, then it's worthless and it counts for nothing. So the idea of living a life that is vain um, adds up to nothing, because we're living for, for self-approval and, and, and self-praise and, 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 and to feel good about ourselves. I, I will share a little insight about myself. When I was younger, I struggled uh, with a vain mindset and an arrogant thought process of myself. I went through this time when I thought that I was, and I'm not making this up, this is probably not even an exaggeration, I thought that I was God's gift to worship. It's harsh, but it's pretty true. I thought, okay, God has gifted me with an immense amount of talent. I am the next Hillsong United. I'm the next Phil Wickham. I'm, I'm going to be greater than Chris Tomlin could ever imagine. I am it. And this is slightly before I met Lauren, kind of overlapping into that time period. But, but I had this mindset of I am the greatest thing that's ever happened to worship music, and God bless the earth with me. That may be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's, it's to make the point. And it came, where do you want to use me next? Because clearly you want to continue to use me to do great things at different youth camps and stuff. And we were traveling here and there and doing that. And we thought we were it. I had to completely humble me into the point of public, um, a large room full of people and just say, I need to confess to you. God is really dealing with me in that moment. And he had to bring me down. He had to bring me down hard. And, and it was a lot to, to work through and a lot to deal with in that moment because I was living completely in vain. I was living completely for myself, living completely for, for the things that I wanted to accomplish and do with my life. I was convinced, and I even told Lauren, that, that my thought, my mindset was, I'm just going to lead worship for my whole life. I'm going to travel the world leading worship. I'm going to travel the world. That's going to be it full time. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to have this awesome band. We're going to have a crazy, awesome tour bus for when we're in the States, and then we're going to have this incredible jet for flying around the world. We were going to be filthy rich worship leaders. I was going to drive a Bentley. I couldn't be happier than I am now because I know that I have humbled myself and I said, God, I want to live for your glory. You know, I've had those ideas removed. Now, from time to time, like if the lottery gets up to 750 million, Lauren and I do as it goes. When talk to talks about the rebuilding of the temple and it walks through this whole process. See, what had happened in, in Israel at the time is that, that they had kind of removed, God had removed the glory. The glory had departed from Israel at this time because of their wrongdoing and because of the things that they had done. They had separated themselves from the glory of God, right? They're still God's people, but, but at the end of it, in the moment, the temple that was where the, the, the glory of God was to reside was in the temple in Israel in the Old Testament, right? Now, the glory had departed. It had lifted because of the things that they had done in the temple. The temple was no longer a holy place. And so because of that, the holy again, and so they, they build this temple, they rebuild the temple, and then it says the glory returns, right? It's this great moment because things had been, been brought back to a state of holiness so that it was holiness. 
His glory dwells in a place of holiness. We fast forward New Testament. Jesus, the moment of, of God weeping over the loss of his son, of his son dying in that moment and carrying that, it says that the veil was torn from top to bottom, which the veil separated uh, the most holy place uh, from, from the holy place, right? And that is where the spirit of God would dwell. That was where the glory would sit and dwell, was inside the most holy place in the temple. And when Jesus dies, the veil is torn top to bottom, signifying to us that no longer does the glory dwell in the holy place, but now we have the ability to, for the, the, the glory of God to dwell in us, right? So the Spirit lives in us so that when we come together and worship, we can, can enter into the glory of God in the most holy place, but as, as followers of Christ, as, as those who Spirit of God. So what we find here is this, is that it's salvation or that you have walked away from the Lord, but the glory has separated, right? And you feel those no longer a holy place, and he says, I need to come in and we need to rebuild our temple and have realignment with, with the word of God, walking in line with the word of God so that our hearts can become this holy place again where the spirit of God can t- again dwell, where the glory can again dwell in our hearts and our lives. When we feel that separation and that pushback, sometimes we need to stop and go, okay, God, is there anything in my life? Now, I'm not saying this is always the case because we go through ups and downs and ebbs and flows in our walk with the Lord. We have seasons But sometimes we need to stop and go, okay, God, what is it in my life? What am I allowing to creep in? What am I allowing to make it uncomfortable for you? One of the things we say, Lauren and I say all the time in our homes is is, is we want our home to be a comfortable place for the Holy Spirit. We want our house to be a, a place where the Spirit, where the glory of God feels that he can dwell comfortably with us. It makes me think of, of an older lady sitting in the passenger seat, looks over and sees a young couple, and, and they're sitting in a truck together also, but the young friend or, or husband, young husband, whatever it is, this young couple, she's sitting right next to him. And the older lady turns to her, I remember those days, and you would reach over and you'd put your arm around me, and we would drive down the road together. She's like, oh, I remember those days. And he turns to her and said, I'm not the one that moved. Now, it probably didn't go well for him beyond that moment. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't take away from the fact that sometimes when we go, God, remember when we used to be like this? And God's going, I'm not the one that moved. I'm not the one that pulled away. I'm not the one that, kept pers- that stopped pursuing me. He says, draw me. The idea of our lives, the idea of, of who we are is so that, that we can live for the glory of God, of God. The way we live is so that we have a, a dwelling place for the glory of God in our lives. The way we are dwelling in our midst. So we need to make with humility and with service so that all that we do is for the glory of God. So my questions for you this morning are, 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 are many, but I think they're, they're designed to help us come to a conclusion as to where we are with our hearts. What, are we, what methods are we building our lives with? What methods are we building our lives with? What, are, are we building with prayer? Are we building with the Spirit? Are we building with humility or, or with arrogance? Are we building with, with service or, or with a neglect of needs around us? Are we building with an other's first mentality Are we building for eternity or are we building for the temporal things here on earth? Consequently, we build into our church. And we need to be people, men and women, who have things been a little out of balance in your life. We have those moments. We all do focus too much on building our lives 
that we have put things of the Father on the back burner, to, to pursue and chase things that we've neglected the Lord? Or are you are we building for our glory or for His? I think at the end of it, that's what it boils down to. Who are we trying to glorify in our lives? Who are we trying to glorify in our church? My hope in this, my heart in this this morning is, is simple, that, that, that we learn to constantly examine our hearts, that we learn to constantly examine the, the, the way our church is operating and working, that are we focused on building for the glory of God or are we focused on building for the glory of ourselves? I will tell you, it's easy as a pastor to, to, to quickly fall into the games that other pastors play in, in those, those questions of, so how many are you running? How big is your church now? And it's easy to want to fall into that, right? This is me just being very, very uh, honest and, and real with you. So awesome, Ryan. Pat you on the back. You are great. In any career path or any choice that you take, in any way or God, that God leads you, it's easy to fall into this idea of, man, you are doing great. And to seek that, to seek that applause, to seek that approval. And, and God is saying, no, whoa, 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 whoa. At the end of the day, what they think doesn't matter. Because if you're building for eternity, if you're building for eternal, lasting things, then, then, then at the end of the day, it's going to be, what, what do I think? What does God think? That's what matters. And when we stand face to face with the Father, that he looks at us and says, well done. And we have his approval. We live for his approval. We seek his glory in all things. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.